Welcome to ArchiSpeak, a fortnightly podcast about all things architecture. My name is Evan Troxell, and I'm one of your hosts along with Neil Pan and Cormac Phelan. Have you ever wondered what it's like to work in the profession of architecture? Have you ever worked with an architect? Have you ever wanted to be an architect? Maybe you're in school and don't know what you're getting yourself into, or perhaps you know exactly what it's like because you've been working in the profession for a long time, and you know that the more things change, the more they stay the same. Or maybe, just maybe, you're planning on changing the world. Join us as we have a casual conversation about our passion, architecture. It's time for some Archispeak. Welcome to episode 106 of the Archispeak podcast. I'm Neil Pan. I'm Evan Troxell. And I'm Cormac Phelan. And this episode of Archispeak is sponsored by Arcat. Check out all the features they offer over at arcat.com. Hey, uh, I, I thought it would be fun if we if we totally change everything up and let's make this a show about cars today. Ooh, perfect. Oh, that sounds good. I like <laughs> that. <laughs> Coffee with Arcaspeak. We normally record this at night. Today we're recording uh, first thing coffee in the morning. And co- coffee and cars. Cars with and coffee. That's right. <laughs> I'm sure we'll be sued by uh, <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and over here, I, you guys too, I guess we're on storm watch. Uh, we're supposed to get we're supposed to get more rain. At least Northern California is uh, than we have in since like the last giant rain in like ninety seven or possibly even eighty four. Wow. I saw on the news. So there's going to be huge flooding up in the the Sierras, and uh, it's going to be an exciting few days here in California. We we desperately need it. So. I guess I'm we'll take out it. The window and our rain is coming in the form of snowflakes. Yeah, I mean, Mammoth got four feet of snow yesterday, and uh, my brother posted a picture of T- Lake Tahoe up up where he lives, and and the cars are totally covered. And his thing was, I'm going to Hawaii. He turns forty, so he and all of the extended family is in Hawaii for like ten days. Nice. <laughs> so he's he's missing it all. You're I'm sure he he'd, he'd like to be snowboarding, but. Uh, it's going to turn into rain, unfortunately, pretty soon, even at the high elevations. And, and w- one thing, I don't know if too many people know about this, but California is very, at least Southern California, is very poorly designed. <laughs> and all of the water goes to the ocean that falls on the surface, unless it soaks in immediately. And because of the drought, like all everything is compressed. So the ground doesn't even soak stuff up anymore. Yeah. It just all goes out to the ocean. Either that or the Salton Sea. Yep, fills up the Salton Sea. So it's uh, there's a good 99 PI episode on that. that yeah, I know. Cool. Can you smell it by chance? Not Have here. you been able? Not oh here. yeah, yeah. If you're out there, yeah, you know about it when you're out there. Well, I, I was <laughs> uh, listening to that, and they were saying that LA can smell it. I don't know about that. Uh, maybe we're just used to it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like living on a farm, right? What is that smell, right? Foul, rotten uh, egg smell. <laughs> That's L.A. <laughs> That's not the Salton Sea. <laughs> anyway, so we get. We, I got an email from um, a listener of the show, and I thought we could talk about this real quick because we get this question a lot. And this is uh, Moises Perez wrote in to ask. Uh, he's he's a fan. He's studying, but not architecture. He's studying for civil engineering, and he wants to. Uh, he says his passion is actually for architecture, 
or actually he says, I am more passionate for architecture than civil engineering. And yeah, of course you are. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening Uh, to this show, right? (laughs) Right. Uh, And so he's asking for advice uh, on what to do. And so basically right now he's, um, he's studying for his prerequisites before he really decides on what to do. And so he's thinking about going to Cal Poly Pomona or SLO over here in California, which Neil and I both attended ourselves. And actually now I'm teaching a class over there at Cal Poly again. So um, I think that the question comes up because it's like, well, where should I go next? What's going to be the best? And I think as, as we, I don't know, maybe you guys agree with this, but I, I kind of, when I applied for colleges, when I was in high school, I just applied everywhere (laughs) and I saw what happened because you, you never, it's not like you are, are guaranteed for any of these. Uh, these are both highly impacted programs. There are other programs out there. Um, I mean, at least if, if you know that you have stellar grades and great SATs and whatever the college actually judges you on to get into it, uh, you, you might have a pretty good idea whether you're going to get in or not. But I think that there's so much competition out there that you kind of have to, you got to put your eggs in many baskets so you can't, you can't put all your hopes and dreams into one. So, so my advice, Moises, was, is to, and I know you live down here near where I do, and, and you're thinking Cal Poly Pomona because it's close, but it's not a guarantee, I guess I'll just say. And so you need to spread those eggs out and, and just apply, and then you can kind of push this decision off till later. They both have great architecture programs. I know SLO is very highly ranked. Cal Poly is not as highly ranked. Cal Poly Pomona is not as highly ranked as SLO. I mean, and so if, if that matters to you, that that choice is probably easy. But I do know because I went through Pomona's program and now I teach in it again, that it's it's a it's doing really well. And I know that it's a great education. I mean, really, when you get out, it doesn't matter where you went. I mean, some exactly. people will probably some people will argue that, but <laughs> I'll argue that. But I don't think that. Well, because you have um, this weird loyalty to football teams and, and schools that you have nothing to do with anymore, right? <laughs> not me. I didn't. I've no, never. Cal Poly's not a big uh, football school. No, I was no, just no, going but to you, you argue. like the Raiders. Well, yeah, I do. But uh, with a game coming up later today, uh, so hint, we're, we're recording on Saturday. At work, does it matter? Like, nobody no. ever asked you what school you went to. That's all. Oh, that's no, 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 no. That's not necessarily true, at least in my office, because we're here in California. So most of the people here in my office either you know went to Cal Poly, went to Berkeley, or strangely enough, we have a huge recruitment program in Montana. So we have a number of Montana grads uh, in my office as well. But it does follow you, um, and it can affect how you get jobs. Because when, say, like somebody who who is uh, the owner of a firm or partners in a firm have gone to Cal Poly and you walk in with a resume that says you went to Cal Poly, there is some sort of bonding there. Oh, you went there too. Great. Hey, did you have this teacher or that, that professor? And so it can get you in the door sometimes. It's not going to get you the job, but it's like there's some instant credibility that comes with the particular school that you went to. 
And, and I do think that that has an effect. Now, whether or not you walk in and go, I went to Cal Poly Pomona, and they go, oh, well, you know, no, that's not good. Uh, no, that's, that's compete complete BS. Both schools are very good. But I think depending on, like, if you're going to be in the LA area, uh, I think the opposite would, or the same thing could be true. It's like, oh, I went to Pomona. Hey, I went to Pomona too. That's a great program. Um, because it is. I mean, the year I spent in Italy was uh, 50-50, give or take, of San Luis Obispo uh, architecture students and 50% Pomona students. And we all worked together, and it was great. And it was good to actually work with people f- with uh, from another school that um, kind of opened your eyes. Hey, we do things here like this, and oh, we do things here. And I think it was a great thing to learn how another school uh, operates. So neither program, uh, Moise, is, is is better than the other, I would say. I mean, both have merits. And as you said, Evan, Cal Poly has a reputation. They're ranked a little bit higher. But I think there's plenty of great schools out there. And, and eventually, I think these rankings are based on previous knowledge, right? It's like, oh, well, San Luis is a great program. Maybe it's not as great anymore. I don't know. Maybe it's better than it was. But it has that ranking, and it just stays there. And that's good for San Luis Obispo, maybe not as good, you know, for Pomona, which may be just as good of a program. So I wouldn't get too caught up on that. Oh. But um, you, you well, guys are so Carmen. cute. What do you think? You guys are so cute. Oh, now we're going to get the East Coast bullshit bias coming out. (laughs) Once you have your degree, it doesn't matter. If you can get your foot in the door and you can get the job, it's about what you can do. Yeah. And I think that's where Evan was going with it. Yep. I I, I get what Neil's saying because our office in particular, I mean, we, we have lots of, we have, I think, nine offices. But the one that I'm in is very Cal Poly Pomona centric yeah because we're right next to it i mean and that's just the truth of it right we get some of those graduates because they live here yeah but but that's definitely not something that that shows up as a interview question um what what matters is the work and what matters is your passion and your drive and what you bring to the table and if it's a good fit for the firm well i'm an anomaly anyway because i went to a school from the south and I'm up in the mid-Atlantic region, and almost everybody around here is either a Maryland grad or a Virginia Tech grad um, or, you know, Penn State or things like that. And here, you know, I'm, pro- I'm around this area. I'm probably one of the only Auburn grads. And, you know, it's just it, it really doesn't matter around here. I don't know if we play favorites you know, during the hiring practice or anything, but we always look for who's the stellar candidate. What does their uh, portfolio look like? What does their resumes look like? You know, what kind of projects have they worked on? Those are the kind of things that we look for. And so we're not really looking necessarily for where you came from, but what you can do. Yeah. Now, now if it's a question more about like, like you can't, for some reason apply to two different schools and you have to put all your eggs into one basket, which I don't, I don't know what the intricacies of applying to colleges are or how much it costs or anything like that, or how much work it is. Like I said, I think I applied to four or five schools. So I think that 
my advice is based on my experience and because when I got my stuff back, I, I only had a couple of choices. Like I, it wasn't like every one of them came back and said, yes, we want you or we can't, we have room or whatever it is. So if, if economics are playing a part in this, you do have to think about, yeah. okay, so, so if you're going to move, how are you going to afford to live there? Is that worth the extra money that it takes to go to school? I mean, school's not cheap, right? We all know that. So, uh, Students live on the cheap for a reason because they, they kind of have to. So if you have to all of a sudden pay for housing, um, which you you wouldn't have to in one location, uh, I think that that all needs to weigh into it, right? Because the economics of the whole thing are important. You don't you don't want to burden yourself more than you possibly can, which could then lead to having to drop out after a certain amount of time or take a break in quotes um, and then come back later. That's all, I think, detrimental to your education. You, my, my advice is once you get in, like head down, go, and finish. Yeah. Don't, don't mess around in the middle or, or have extra reasons why you might have to take time off and, and come back later. It, it, prolonging the processes can be detrimental because the chances go way up that you just won't finish at all or you'll, you'll break off and go and do something else. So I, I, my recommendation really is to pick, pick whatever will work over the next five years that you're going to do and 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 aim that direction now are you talking specifically the actual school he chooses or the profession i'm just talking about school right now because because yeah, i mean you know he's he's in a program that's getting the prerequisites for civil engineering and, and a lot of those prerequisites can most certainly transfer over to architecture mm-hmm. and i'm wondering if his decision is, is well i you know, I favor architecture. I like architecture more. Clearly, there was something that he had a decision to make about going into um, civil engineering. And so there may be something there that he likes more or is as equal to architecture. And I'm curious if he's got the luxury, especially now in his prerequisites, to take some form of like architecture 101 type course to really kind of start dipping his toes in the water of of the degree and see whether or not this is something that he really does like yeah because it can be shocking right yeah, very much so to take that first course and you're like oh my gosh this is a lot of work right it, it is a very intensive program and and i think that's a really good point cormac because i know cal poly used to i don't know if they do anymore at down here in pomona offer a summer class that would it was really designed for transfer students yeah, yeah, well. to get them kind of integrated and up to speed with a certain skill set. Um, you could be right. I mean, there that would be a great way to kind of dip your toe in and, and test the water. Auburn had a similar program, and I'm sure everybody has some for transfer students that essentially there was a full summer program that took all of the first year architecture program condensed it down intensified it we called it the uh, architectural boot camp really and it was called the summer option program yeah and so you did your entire first year all in one summer um, semester and it was you know basically non-stop non-sleep non-breathe architecture and um it it and it really yeah. did weed out people who were like oh my god this is if it's like this I don't know if I want to handle this or I, I don't know if I can handle it Yeah. or if there's, you know, an opportunity to maybe audit a class or, or sit in on, you know, some courses to just see 
exactly what it is. Plus, being close to possibly uh, Cal Poly Pomona or, or other courses, drop in, walk around, look at what the uh, students are doing. Look at look to see if that's exactly what you want to do. Yeah, that is the great thing about campuses is that they're open, yeah. right? And you can go walk into the architecture building and check it out and talk to people. And I, I would also say that um, you've got great options because they're both polytechnic schools and you're already studying civil engineering you actually do have options because both schools have engineering programs they have a lot of programs yeah because it's you know i think i don't know how many colleges there are on the campus but there's quite a few on on pomona's that people transfer to all the time so if if architecture is not for you you don't want to stay in it and and be tortured um because that's what it is for a lot of people uh who who just don't have the the foresight to say this is not for me, but for those that it is for, um, you really can't go wrong with either school. But I think one of his concerns as well, or questions was, could he find employment after graduating and that architects are underpaid? (laughs) That's two different questions. (laughs) Well, we've talked about both of those things before. Yeah. And we have, we have, but I think briefly you can find on, I think you can find employment. With the exception of the Great Recession that we just have gone through most recently. I don't know if it was great. <laughs> well, I, it was great for some of us. <laughs> yeah. And I mean great as in air quotes here. Great. Um, yeah. It, for the most part, there's always employment in architecture. Somebody's always building something. And it may be down at times, it may be up at times, but that's very much uh, goes with the rest of the economy. And you can't predict those things. So hopefully you get out in a time when things are doing well and you can find employment very easily. But that'll have the, you'll have the same effect, or that has the same effect even on civil engineering as well. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. As far as the topic of being underpaid, and, and we have covered this stuff before, but I think that for the most part, yes, architects sometimes are, you know, we have the impression that we are underpaid. Are we paid well? I think for the most part, we are. And you can be, you can make a living. I guess what I mean is you can make a living at this and you can make a nice living. Right. Will you be a rock star and and super wealthy? Probably not, but it will pay you better than working at McDonald's. Yeah, and if you show your value and you and and you can make it through the recessions, this is this is a long term career, and it it pays very well over time. And I think that a lot of people look at what's my paycheck right when I graduate. Right. And, and well, think about the skills that you have to offer to a firm right when you graduate, which is very few. Uh, you might have technical skills or yeah. I, I should say tech skills, you know, in, in software and hardware. And, and you, you may have a particular skill set, but so does everybody else that you graduate with. And those don't translate necessarily well to running the practice of architecture. And there's going to be a lot more education that you get right when you graduate and start working at a firm because you don't know what it takes to actually do the job that you are hopefully hired to do. And, and hopefully they mentor you and, and teach you how to do it. But you're not going to get a huge paycheck right when you graduate because you don't know what you don't know and, and you got to learn it all. Uh, and, and it is a different skill set than what you learned in school. And one has to learn patience because it will take a little bit of time and you will get there. 
but you won't have that instant gratification of, oh, I'm a civil engineer and I make X when I graduate. It, it'll be different than that. And that's okay. Um, but this, you're in it for the long haul. As uh, as Karmic is fond of telling me, this is a career <laughs> and uh, it, it takes a while. So be patient and you'll get there. And there's going to be frustrations. You're going to be like, holy crap, Did I? what did I do? I mean, I just went through a five-year, six-year degree program. I, I've set myself up for this life in architecture and and this is what I'm getting. And oh my God, this is, I'm, I'm not sure this is what I was looking for or ready for. And, you know, and people have that all the time. You know, we second guess ourselves all the time and it's tough, but you know, when you get into it, because you're going to feel so overwhelmed with so much of that stuff. I mean, Evan, you said it best. You don't know what you don't know. And when you get there, you're going to be flooded with, they're going to be expecting you to know. And they forget that you don't know what you don't know. And they forget what you really don't know. And then you just, you're so flooded with all of this stuff and you get so overwhelmed. And people are like, I really, I don't, I don't think this is it. I don't think this is for me. And I don't think it, that's the time to give up. I think that's the time to slow down, take a deep breath, talk to the people around you, talk to your mentors, talk to your project managers and your leaders and stuff, and really let them know that, hey, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed. I, I, It's not that I don't think I can do it, but I, it's something that I think that I need some perspective on of just what do I need to do? How do I need to refocus myself? How do I need to retest myself? Because... I've seen a lot over the course of my career, people getting burnt out and leaving the profession because they're so overwhelmed. And it's not that they couldn't do it. It's they didn't know how to manage it. Yeah, I agreed. I think I think we've talked enough about this, but yeah. hopefully it helps Moises and it helps other people, too, who are definitely, uh, you know, like I said, we get this question a lot. So it was good that Moises wrote in and, and asked. So thanks, Moises, and, and good luck. And if you want to talk on campus, we'll, let's get together. Before we, we jump into our next thing, let's talk about our sponsor for this episode, and that's RCAT. So what's the one thing we want to do in our practice? We want to search the internet all day, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Uh, well, we want to let you know about RCAT.com because they are on the internet, and uh, RCAT is an online resource devoted to bringing content to the building professional. They've got huge libraries that you can access. They do not hit you up for a subscription. There are no fees, and they don't make you register to download any of their content. We've all been there. You finally find the right file, and you get blocked with a registration pop-up, and you're like, oh, man, you're wasting my time. I think I'll go somewhere else. Our cat's BIM library is really second to none and available in just about any format that you need. In fact, their entire BIM library is formatted for the last five versions of Revit. Their CAD detail library has thousands of CAD details, and if you need specs, our cat library is the most consistent library you can find. Every single spec is written in the CSI three-part format. There is so much more on their site, including catalogs, videos, and Spec Wizard. I know I was just there the other day looking something up. I can't even remember what it was, but it is a go-to website. And so like I've said in the past, uh, don't search Google. Search RCAT when you're looking for products. So go to RCAT.com or download their app on your mobile device, and you can check it all out. It's a great free resource that you do not have to register to use. So again, that's A-R-C-A-T dot com 
And don't forget, uh, you can provide feedback on the site. So if there's something you're looking for, and for some reason they don't have it, or if there's something else you think our cat could do for you, let them know. There's a button on the right side of every single page. So if you have a, a suggestion to make our cat better, just click that button, and you can also let them know that ArcaSpeak sent you. So thanks, our cat, for sponsoring this episode of ArcaSpeak. Once again, we love you, our cat. So I was I was just thinking it, it's a new year. There's a lot of uh, probably new stuff going on. I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> maybe it's just more of the same. But uh, things have changed because of the new year. I think things are going to change in a major way for a lot of people here pretty soon. But uh, let's just talk about like kind of a day in the life. And so I thought we could talk about a couple things that are just going on in our various practices and and just give people an idea of the the varied things that that we're doing. And I guess I can I can just start off and say two, there's a couple things that come to my mind that that are kind of interesting maybe for other people to hear about. The first one is that and this never gets old. I was actually talking about this yesterday to some folks and. I got to tour a building that I designed that I haven't been in in months and months and months because the last time I was there, it was, you know, 50% done. And now it's 95% done. And I wish I could get out there more often and, and have more kind of check-ins and stuff with it, but I just haven't been able to. So it's one of those things where it's just like, man, this makes me feel like an architect. And I think there's so many times when we just get stuck behind the computer screen and we have, get this kind of tunnel vision and it's hard to see or be reminded of why we do what we do. I'm sure there's lots of little things that happen throughout the day and, and you feel like you're contributing or not, or you know maybe you're frustrated or maybe you're really excited about architecture, but going and visiting a building that you've designed, I, I just kept saying, I can't believe they actually did it. <laughs> that was really cool. And so I thought it'd be a fun thing to share because I posted a bunch of pictures on Instagram of little details and stuff that I captured throughout the day. I mean, obviously the real photography is going to happen in about a month. That's actually the reason we went out was just to kind of pre scout. We're doing some punch walk stuff and, and just kind of get some ideas about maybe where we might want to photograph the, the built environment from within it and outside of it and all that kind of stuff. But it was a, it's a theater building, which was the first theater that I've ever worked on. And it's on a high school campus and it is like a super nice theater for a high school campus. Yeah. Very nice for high school. Yeah, and I mean it's Irvine, so they've they they definitely spend some money on their schools. And what's interesting, it's a whole new campus. So the buildings that I designed, I designed two of like the, I don't know how many there are, twenty two maybe buildings on this campus, and uh, they're both in the arts complex. So the performing arts, and it has dance and a black box theater and a and a main main theater, and and then there's another building that has ceramics and there's art and choir and band and. So that was kind of my my area of the campus that I worked on, and it was it was really cool to go through and and see a very close to finished project and explore it. I mean, that was kind of the neatest thing about doing a theater was it's complex, it's it's spatially complex, right? And I don't, so I'm not just talking about systems and and coordination and all that kind of stuff because that that's a byproduct of the complexity of the spaces and how they work and how the back of house has to be separate from the front of house and the mm -hmm. access to all those areas up into the rigging and the catwalks and the box booms. And you learn a lot working on a new project type, obviously. But when you actually see it realized and how it was pulled off and executed, it was really fun to just get in there and explore. And I, I, I paid attention to my 
behavior when I was there. I guess a little bit after the fact, I I, I kind of just went back and kind of reflected on it. And when I go to a project that I designed, I'm very quiet. I walk around. I'm I'm very observant. I'm kind of soaking yeah. it all in, and I'm yeah. and it's really exciting. And and it, it's one of those things that makes me feel really lucky that I get to do what I do for a living when I get to go through a project did, like did that. Did you have that moment where you're sitting there and you're looking at it and you're like, I can't believe I did this. Damn. Yeah. I, yeah, totally. Yeah. From right when I pulled up to the, and, and so, because it, it has a presence, right? And, the, and a building like this has to have presence uh, because it's so important to the campus. I mean, this is like the culmination of the arts community on a, on a campus is a theater, right? That's where, right. that's where stuff happens. So this is where kids are going to spend the next four years of their life learning how to make art and learning how to present it to the world. And I, I feel like giving them like this awesome foundation, which is obviously all credit for that goes to the, the administration of the school because they're the ones who had the vision yeah. to, yeah. there's a lot of schools cutting this, this kind of programming. So it, it all credit goes to them to, to, put their money where their mouth is and say, this is important. And then showing that it's important. Uh, and then being able to go through there and, and I'm going to sit in this seat. I'm going to see what the views like here. And I'm going to go sit in this seat and I'm going to see what the, <laughs> the views like here. I'm going to go down into the orchestra pit and go onto the stage and go up to the mezzanine. I mean, it has a mezzanine. How cool is that? Yeah. Go up into the spotlight room, go into the sound booth and go across the catwalks and climb down the ladder into the boom box or the box boom and go up into the rigging. And it's so cool to explore a spatially complex building like that. And have like all of that stuff, once you're away from the seat, all of that stuff is important and integral to a performance, but it's all got to be out of sight, out of mind. And the creative ways of coming up with how to keep the catwalk and the lighting and the rigging and the pit and all of this other stuff, how to keep all of that stuff out of sight, but still well accessed and everything else is an interesting little complex problem to solve. It is. And then, and then to further that, I would say there's a, a third layer or maybe a second layer of complexity, which is this is a teaching environment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we always think about this when we work on school projects is how do we expose the teaching process and, you know, maybe, maybe the performing arts theatrical program to someone who's in band or to someone who's in dance because they might work together on a performance but there's a lot, of, we all know, there's a lot of work that goes into that performance. And so how do we expose what one curriculum is doing during the, the part where they're actually working on putting it together? Because we all know it's not just a final project, right? Not just a final performance. It doesn't just magically happen. There's a lot of stuff that goes into making that happen. And so when we, when we design a hallway and somebody asked the question, why are there glass doors looking into the yard uh, behind the scene shop? Well, it's because lots of students go down that hallway who are not part of the theatrical program. And they're like, yeah, it's going to look ugly out there in the yard. Well, but that's part of the process. Right. Right. And we put it on display so that everybody sees what it takes to make a production. And so I think that that extra layer it doesn't happen everywhere. A, a lot of places there is a, a very 
clear cut between back of house and front of house and no one in the front of house ever sees what happens in the back of house which is kind of the professional theatrical world right or going to vegas and seeing a cirque de soleil show you never know what happens behind the scenes but here it's very different because the students are going to be part of the they're going to be out in the audience and they're going to be doing the production and we want to make sure that people get a glimpse of it because not only are you like it's it's kind of like it's kind of like what we were talking about with Moises's question. Like you're not, you, you want to see what might attract mm-hmm. you into somewhere else because that might be a better fit for you. Right. And right. so like when you go to a school that has lots of different programs, it's nice. Like we said, go, go, go now, go to the architecture program now and see if it's something you'd like. It's the same thing at this school. If you're in dance and you wanted to maybe try out for a band, like make it easy. And so these are all kinds of things that we thought about. And it was fun to, to just explore through it and see how it was finally realized and feel the scale, feel the materials, feel the lighting and all the tech. It's really fun. So that's something that I've been up to lately. Uh, and I, and I thought that was, it was just something that would be fun to talk about on the show. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's what we do, right? It's at the end of the day, as, as much as we're doing a project for, our clients and the, you know, community and stuff like that. We're still doing it for ourselves too. Yeah. Well, it makes you feel that meaning, I think. Exactly. Which is, which is maybe something that's also important to talk about because thinking about other questions that have come up in the past and we're we're thinking about talking about uh, some, a video that's going around about the, the millennial question in quotes and how people want to do meaningful work. And I think sometimes that's hard to see when you're sitting in a cube all day. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't really come together until you actually go and experience architecture, not just draw architecture or talk about architecture. Uh, and, and so for me, I think you're right, Cormac, it's one of those things where, man, you just feel like the importance of what you do and how it can affect so many other people's lives. I mean, we we do have to remember that architecture is for people, and not just not just ourselves. But we do get a lot out of it, and this is why we do what we do. So, what else is going on for me? I started teaching a class again. I mean, it's been seven years, and I'm I, I was asked at Cal Poly to come in and, and teach a class. So that was that was what I spent my day yesterday doing, and uh, it was it was really cool. I mean, it was it brought back all those old memories, uh, and and it was. It was very nice to just say, hey, you're the guy who can do this. Come in and do this and not have to go through some crazy process. So what are what are you teaching? So it's it's an emerging technology class that's part of, it's like a pro practice class. So it's emerging tech in the field of, or in the profession of architecture. And so it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a wide range of things. But my goal is to kind of just facilitate all of the different aspects of how technology is embedded into the practice of daily architecture and expose that to students because I think students get a very narrow view of that. It's really design software for the most part. Right, right. And so for this, I, my goal is to open that up and talk about experiential and presentation and project management and how, how, do, how do teams actually get things done? <laughs> you know, so there's a lot of things I think that that I can expose them to actually being an architect and working in this stuff all the time and, and just giving them a good perspective on what it's like to be in a firm with all the different types of technologies. And then also, you know, there's part of it is just playing with how, how we work in larger firms, at least me, uh, and, and how do you 
introduce new things to people who don't want to do things differently. I think there's, there's definitely conversations that we can have about that kind of stuff. I think you can package that up and put it on the road. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I think I need to take that class. <laughs> a lot of people do, Neil. All these students are digital natives, right? We're, they're, they're, they grew up with it. And, and this is something that every firm has to deal with, is how, how do we adopt new technology? How often? Uh, what technology do we adopt? We don't want to waste money. So, and so how do you live in a landscape where people don't understand what you do? And, and I, all of these students are going to have to deal with that to some extent, right? And, and my goal is, in my office, is to, is to build that bridge and make it easier because I don't know everything that my students even know, but how do I allow them to come in and, and flourish in that environment with the things that they do know? What, what right. extra cool things can they do, can they bring to our practice? I know that there's a lot. And then there's the generation older than me who... I have to go and build that bridge between the two of them. And so I feel like those are good things to expose them to. Absolutely. Uh, that sounds great. Yeah. So what about you guys? What have you been up to lately? I know, I know Neil, you had to get on a, on a train and. Oh, I won't go into my commute to Oakland uh, from yesterday, but <laughs> no, 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 I'm not going to do it. I, 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 I complained to you guys that that's enough. I won't drag everybody into that, but I was in Oakland yesterday for a um, continuing education seminar uh, here in California. And as I'm aware, in many other states, you have continuing education for your license. And in California, actually, we don't actually have to do too much. It's it's actually just five hours every two years that we have to renew our license. And uh, part and and that's it's. In California, it is all focused on um, accessibility um, education. So that's what we were doing. And it was five hours of going through um, uh, many of the code changes in, in 2016 for California. We have a new code, California Building Code here, that uh, was adopted January 1st. So there's a whole bunch of new uh, things. And the seminar was pretty much all about those site types of things. Um uh, the seminar itself, the person giving it wasn't, uh, he did a good job for what he knew what to do, but it wasn't the most scintillating um, uh, <laughs> talk. Uh, and we spent tons and tons of time on electro or electrical uh, charging vehicles. Mm -hmm. and how to park them and uh how where to put the, all of the um uh the charging stations and all the accessibility issues that surround those because you have to make all of that stuff accessible and uh it you know th there were parts of it that are are very fascinating we're we're definitely over the years that I've been taking these education seminars for my license because it, it wasn't always when I first got licensed there was no requirement for continuing education and I think over the last six or maybe eight years it's been required and so what I found interesting about the whole process is that how that conversation has changed over those six or eight years. I mean, at one point we were talking about curbs and, and putting, um, uh, making curbs accessible, you know, at the corners and, and 
truncated domes at uh, you mm-hmm. know and 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 things of that nature and a little bit on some accessibility and universal design that was kind of early and now we're moving into a whole different phase where we're talking it's like okay we kind of got some most of that stuff covered and updated in the in the codes and there those are kind of like those are the standard things we just always do those and now we're moving into another phase where we're getting into electronic vehicles and how do we provide access for charging stations and parking and how do we count the parking uh, one of the things i learned which i thought was kind of fascinating is that if you uh, have specific electric vehicle charging parking spaces that are only for that then they don't count towards your parking requirement but but they're still required based on energy code or maybe local zoning or or the California Green Building Code. Right. Um, and so, but what's interesting is that if you put a charging station at a parking spot, then that counts as well. So, uh, so if it, it says EV parking only, then it doesn't count toward your parking count. But if it's just a charging station at a parking spot yeah, parking. that doesn't have that sign, then you're fine, I guess. I Something like that. The, the it's most fun how fr- ambiguous all that is. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I. The, the thing that I struggle with most when I go to these uh, education seminars, especially when we're dealing with the code, is that um, the presenter, at least in this case, and I've seen it with other presenters as well, they take great joy in explaining, not, I shouldn't say explaining, in discussing the code, what's the right word, um, how it is inconsistent one mm-hmm. one part yeah. of it will say one thing and another part will say something different and they just seem in joyful glee about that but then never explaining about the approach you would take to try and solve that problem so i get a little frustrated sometimes with these because they'll <laughs> they'll just you know or show pretty pictures or funny pictures i should say about how you have two toilets facing each other and then or glass doors on a on a toilet cabinet or um enclosure and it's like okay yeah yeah i can spend my own time searching google for funny pictures please don't waste my time and money that i'm sitting here as you look around the room of 150 architects and think of the billing rate and you're showing funny pictures on google um or from google so it's like all right come on move on from this give me some education so uh that that's my 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 slight uh, rant on I think the presentations in these continuing education seminars, I think they need to sit in the audience and listen to themselves and maybe modify their presentations a little bit. But uh, that's probably true of a a lot of presentations. It's a good insight into what it's like to be an architect here. Yeah. Having to sit through this stuff every couple of years. Yeah, but you don't, you didn't think it was funny when they showed the, the one picture of the ramp that split around a tree. (laughs) <laughs> I don't think I saw that one. Uh, this, no. Yeah, we had somebody do that when we had a uh, CEU cl- uh, class, and uh, it was it was pretty funny to just. He pulled up like all of these like construction no nos of right. all these different people who took a stair and they needed they needed a ramp, so all they did was basically fill in one part of the stair with like a slope. Yeah, yeah, I've I've seen that one before. And there's your ramp. Yep. There you go. I mean, that's fine to throw in one or two of those to kind of break up the crowd and and get everybody to chuckle, but 15 minutes on it? (laughs) I mean, no, no, I'm I'm sorry. I I don't need that. Right. 
but I, it is just looking back. I mean, that's that's one of the things that uh, we have to do. And there there are options. I don't have to go to a five hour class. Um, I am required to do five hours, and it's one of the easiest things to do to just go to a particular class. Our local East Bay AIA office is really good about setting these up. They provide lunch and a good setting to have this in. And it's oftentimes a lot of fun because then you you typically run into people you know because they're all having to do it. Uh, and they do this two or three times or three or four times throughout each year that everybody has to get licensed. It's a great thing that they offer. There are other options. You can take online courses and things like that that you can probably quite honestly finish in less than five hours, but I enjoy being able to go there. I ran into some former coworkers and sat down and for the first time in years had an opportunity to talk and stuff like that. So I think that is a part, a good part of the experience. It's something actually I miss from taking my exams. And uh, back when I took exams, it was almost like a little college reunion every June when we, uh, you know, when we took our exams, we, we got to see everybody. But uh, nowadays, you take a mini whenever you want, and I'm sure that sort of camaraderie is all gone now. So that's my day in my life. One and done. That's nice. Get it out of the way. That's actually not bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it works pretty well. Your uh, your firm doesn't have like a d- doesn't do stuff like that. Um, I don't. Um, if we did, we would have to bring in somebody who was like qualified or or registered with the state to have some credentials because the people that teach these courses or that uh, provide these seminars have to have some level of expertise in that particular subject yeah. so oh, yeah. they we would have to bring somebody in and pay them ourselves and do that and to do that for maybe a group of 20 or something is not economically very feasible so the AIA East Bay office does provide that and they have a large conference room that they in the building they're in that uh, can hold several hundred people so they cool. do it that way and i find that the easiest way i'm sure other uh, aia offices throughout california probably do something or may do something similar uh, but our office itself doesn't provide that particular thing but again as i said there are online courses so there is information that was actually sent out through an email that you could do that as well so our office did kind of let everybody know that hey this is the year and of course, we all know that once you work so hard to get your license, you don't, uh, you don't uh, mess with you, it. You don't mess with it. You don't forget to, to write that check. <laughs> you don't forget to do your learning units. Yeah, that's right. What have you been up to, Cormac? Oh, a whole lot of a lot. Yeah. Being sick, yeah. making it, making it harder. Being sick. Yeah. Being sick sucks. Hopefully getting over the final stages of bronchitis. So. It's been, uh, it's taken its toll. It took me down for a few weeks, but, uh, before the holidays and, and now after, and obviously with the, it's just the, the standard rush of trying to play catch up on one day of being out of the office t- sometimes typically ends up being like what five days of work to catch up on. I don't know if that's the right math, but it <laughs> sure it feels, feels yeah. like it. <laughs> But, um, you know, so I've been involved with a couple of different projects that we've been going after. So I've been part of proposal teams, which, you know, kind of feels good to kind of get back into doing things like that. 
both of them really can't talk about until we either don't get them or get them, which fingers crossed that we mm-hmm. get them. Cause one of these projects is, um, quite exciting, especially for me and more to come. Yep. I'll, I'll just say more. Can't to talk come. about it right now. Yep. And then the good thing is, is that our, my, uh, university or Washington university project is, uh, still ongoing and, um, coming out of the ground. And now that you start to see, the framing up for the exterior cladding and windows and stuff start going in. Now it's starting to take shape of an actual building. Yeah. Got this big monster of a 1960s brutalist concrete bunker, rip it to shreds and then open it up. And now it feels so much lighter and airier. Yeah. You made it the bones instead of the thing. That's cool. Yeah. So it, it feels, um, I, I can't wait to see it evolve. It's uh, it it looks great, and maybe I'll put a, a photo in the um, show notes because it, it's interesting to kind of see. You can see some of the surrounding buildings of what it was in a series of complex, and all those other buildings will later kind of transform into something else as well. But to take this big complex of just this massive kind of like overbearing buildings and lighten them up and kind of make them feel some completely different. It's uh, it's kind of fun. It's not a fresh out of the ground kind of everything. It's taking what you got yeah. and um, trying to see how creative you can get with it. So, I was I was tell, telling the students yesterday that because I was showing some of the work that I've worked on over the years, and there's a, a real wide range in in my work because I do small library, a medium community center, and then I do a large science building. And, and whatever, whatever the projects are. Mm-hmm. I like that because it, it breathes new life into the, the day-to-day grind because these projects take so long. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, the project I'm just in the middle of is, like, a seven-year-long project. What What's the schedule like on this Washington University project? Um, it is, I think it's in, like, year three from, or, or might even be year four from planning to where we are now we've still got another year and a half to go yeah and then you know it's then the uh pedestrian bridge that's a part of it but a separate project uh that just recently bid bids came back all the bids have been accepted picked all of their their subs and so now it's just in that early stage process of rfis Mm -hmm. value engineering um, in places where they need to save a little bit of money uh, so it's in that process as well, which that's exciting too, because that one, I can't explain how intense of a construction project this will be because it is a, it's the heaviest used pedestrian access point on campus from the the bulk of the residential halls. Hmm. And when it comes down, you've cut that umbilical off it's an artery and <laughs> yeah. you, you you won't be able to get into the campus in, in a convenient manner i mean there's mm. other you know, there's other ways on the campus but this is over a metro link over a uh, four-lane road so it's a it's a pretty heavily trafficked area to get across and so when it comes down they need to basically get it back up and running w- within a summer mm. And it's not, it's nothing small. It's a 18 foot wide, well, actually 19 structure to structure, but 18 foot pathway. And just the span over the road in the Metrolink itself is 270 linear feet. 
and so it's huge it's it's a that's a massive undertaking and and to and so what we're you know what you have to do is you got to take the old bridge down (laughs) we're replacing a bridge so you've got to demo the old bridge you've got to remove all of the foundations you've got to put new foundations in build all of the structure back up and then put a a new bridge that's usable back over the top in one summer dang that is going to be something to see yeah, it's kind of fun when the when the projects go fast like that. Because right? yeah. I it really do feel like seeing the stuff, the steel coming out of the ground or, or whatever whatever stage the construction's in, it is therapy oh, yeah. for what we do. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> and sometimes it's life saving. It breathes breathes some life back into you because you've you've just become dead behind the screen in the cube. I'm, I'm gonna ask contractors to see if we can set up time lapse camera for oh, this one. Because be cool. that would be really interesting to watch that process. Yep. And other than that, just a lot of um they farmed me out to our DC office as well, working on a, a cool little elementary school project with them, uh, get, getting to meet more people in our firm that I haven't met before, getting to work on some of the projects that I'm comfortable with. So it's some good stuff going on. Yeah, we're all busy, sounds like. <coughs> and sick. Very, very busy and sick. Yeah. Yeah. Bad time to be sick. Bad time to be sick. Well, let's get you back to bed and wrap this one up. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right. So before we go, we want to th- uh, give a huge shout out to RCAT. Check out all the features they offer over at RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. For links to our catalog of episodes, visit our website at arcaspeakpodcast.com. At the site, you can also sign up for our newsletter that includes links to everything we mentioned in the episode. And remember to keep in touch with us between episodes by leaving comments at arcaspeakpodcast.com or over on our Facebook page or even at Twitter. Links for all of these can be found at the main site, arcaspeakpodcast.com. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye. 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 Start now, or you can hang your head in despair. The only road will take you there. They may tell you that you'll never recover, baby. I've learned one thing or another about you. It's the only road to get you there. And if they don't. Discipline and a hand 
but them 